Welcome everybody to the Eastfield Retro Wrestling Podcast, and we're here discussing AEW Dynamite from February 9th, 2022, live from TBS, and we are awaiting the entrance of Nick the Comic Nerd to join me to recap Dynamite as per usual. I'm here fresh off the episode. We are now 20 minutes uh, removed from everything that went on, and it was an episode that was highly touted. There were rumors swirling since Tony Tony Khan dropped that tweet uh, promising a debut, someone to come through the forbidden door. And listen, as usual, Tony Khan delivered. We had not one but two debuts, or I wouldn't say debuts, two appearances on AEW Dynamite this weekend. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, I will not spoil it. You might be able to see it in the bottom scroll over here, uh, some of the names that are on there. But uh, I think people gave Tony Khan a little bit of a bad rap for what happened at uh, all the time ago when he was promising a huge debut and it wound up being Christian and people were disappointed. So I think people were a little bit jaded thinking it was going to be something like that. But I was definitely very, very happy with the two people that were on the show tonight. And I'm just looking forward to the future at this point. So let's get right into the show because it was action-packed. And the one thing about this show was that they almost ran out of time. And I'll talk about that when we get to the main event. But they squeezed a lot into this show. And they almost ran out of time. And for a Texas death match to only go into the main event with about 15 minutes left, that you're playing a very dangerous game. Uh, and I'll talk about how they pivoted. And they really thought on their feet about how to fix that. And they got the most out of the time slot that they had left. Uh, by the way, they formatted the match. And I'm not sure if that was the original plan. It definitely had uh, it fit the, th the theme by starting out of the ring. Uh, but it cut out about 10 minutes without the, the championship en uh, entrances and starting the ring with the music and everything. So uh, they thought on their feet and they saved what could have been a disaster because they needed a lot of time. Because obviously this was going to be Hangman's moment to shine. Uh, his bloody championship moment that seems to uh, be a part of every successful championship run. There's always that one match that you can pinpoint where you have that picture of the champion all bloodied up. And this was that for Hangman. And that's what I fully expected. Nick and I sat here on the podcast weeks and weeks ago when this match was announced, knowing that Hangman uh, was walking out as champion. It was no surprise that Hangman retained here. And you know, no one was expecting Lance Archer to go out there and win the championship. I don't think that was the point of this match. Um, you know, poor Lance Archer. He wasn't able to get a win again. And we could talk about what the effect of that does to his, goes to his character here in AEW, especially being a monster. Uh, but the focus of this match was to develop Hangman and have him have a moment. I mean, right now he had his signature win over Brian Danielson, but he was challenged and, um, he brought him to the limit and that match could have won either way. Both matches. One was a draw. One was a match that again, could have won either way. And hangman came out uh, on the, on the winning end of that. But this was that match. that's supposed to be a defining moment for hangman page. And I think it did just that, you know, I, and I know Lance Archer as an opponent, wasn't someone that people circled in their calendar as someone that could beat him legitimately. Uh, but I thought it had an effective way of making hangman look strong. And I don't want to get too far into that because I will talk about that when Nick gets on here. And again, Nick, the comic nerd, will be joining me here on the show. We'll let him in the room as soon as he comes in. Uh, but let's start the show with AEW Dynamite. So 
It opened up with a segment. Usually on Dynamite, we open up with a little bit of wrestling, but this is not the case this week. We had MJF celebrating in a big way uh, for beating Punk twice in Chicago. So as obnoxious as Punk wanted to be, uh, I mean, as MJF wanted to be, uh, he was just that. So we had Wardlow walk out to the ring, and he came out by himself, and he looked disgruntled. And the slow build has been going for a long, long time now that Wardlow was going to be turning face. Uh, but last week, to everyone's surprise, he had helped MJF win by giving him the ring. And they continued to hint that Wardlow would be turning face eventually. Um, so we saw a Burberry red carpet pattern uh, laid out on the uh, on the ramp for the opening segment. Uh, the show started with Wardlow walking out carrying a cardboard cutout of MJF, one with him cross-legged where he was sitting like CM Punk. And then the other showed him choking out Punk. Uh, he then set them up in the ring, gave Justin Roberts the instructions to bring out FTR until he blanchard. And then Sean Spears was next. So MJF was brought out to a wacky extended introduction. He was brought out like royalty, carried by four or five guys, looked like a super heavy uh, thing that were bringing him out. Uh, and he was flanked by women, one of whom he made out with upon entering the ring. MJF was very, very happy as he as he should be the biggest one of his career. And he started by saying that last week he made it clear he's the best wrestler on the planet. So when he beat Punk, it made MJF emotional so much that he leaned over after his victory and told Punk, you suck. So it's kind of funny. I think last week when we were on the show, we were talking about how it was clear that Punk uh, and MJF had a little bit of a moment after the match. And MJF was probably thanking him for the, for the rub and for the, the moment that Punk was uh, so gracious to give him. And MJF leaned into that and he said that I whispered in his ear and I told him he sucked. So uh, that's what I love about MJF. He doesn't hide from things. And I think it was quite obvious on the, on, on the screen last week that MJF was really emotional for the win. And rightfully so it was a huge, huge moment in his career. And I'm sure the moment got the best of him. And um, I think it was actually really cool that they leaned into it. Uh, so he sounded like he was about to give credit uh, to Wardlow for some help, but he then thanked Spears instead. So Wardlow, they were zooming in on Wardlow's face. Uh, and the Atlantic City crowd was super hot, and they're, they were hotter than most Jersey crowds. Like, usually at the Prudential Center, that crowd was sort of dead, uh, knowing some people that were at the show. Uh, shout out to Greg. He was there. I think uh, Nick's friend, Mike Perry, my friend, Mike Perry, as well, uh, they were there as well. But uh, they were not as uh, not a notably hot crowd. This crowd, however, was very, very loud from the start. They were all over MJF, booing him. Channing shut the fuck up. They were chanting for Punk and eventually chanting for Wardlow. And I thought potentially this moment was going to happen here. And I thought Wardlow was going to turn during the celebration, but we didn't get it again. And we're continuing to get the slow build. Um, but like I said, it looked like MJF was going to give credit to Wardlow, but he gave all the credit to, to Sean Spears for helping him warm up. And you could just see Wardlow's face and they're getting there. And I think the fans are getting behind him, but uh, it's like, and we'll get to it later in the show, but I just feel like at some point you have to pull the trigger and it's going to be too late. Uh, so Spears said M he got MJF to gift a new better than the best in the world shirt that can be bought immediately, showed it on the on the big screen. Now MJF is setting his sights on the AEW World Championship. However, Punk interrupted saying MJF's win in Chicago is about as suspect as his spray tan. Uh, today, Punk's got some friends and Darby and Sting came out. Uh, bats in hand. Punk wants a rematch, but not with MJF, but with Wardlow. He offered Wardlow a chance to leave MJF 
behind infuriating MJF. This segment was a little confusing here uh, because Punk was asking for a rematch with Wardlow. Then he's asking for a rematch with MJF. Eventually he uh, acquiesced and got the rematch with MJF if uh, he was going to win the tag team match against FTR. It was just confusing where they were going with this. I understood their point. Uh, my initial thought was that Wardlow was going to be the guy teaming with Punk, and that would be the way that they have him turn on an MJF. But we'll see later in the show that's not what happened. Uh, so, again, we continue to wait and wait for Wardlow to be turned. And my only hope is that uh, they do it at the right time. And I had said that all, all throughout this Wardlow build and this MJF potential feud with Wardlow, that my fear was that he'd wind up being like someone like Lance Archer, where he's a big guy. Uh, he might be pushed as an initial big monster heel, a big monster face, I should say. Uh, but what happens next? I mean, obviously the success of Dave Batista when he turned on Triple H and turned on Evolution and went after the world championship, the reason why he was so successful and immediately catapulted himself into the main event was because of the fact that he was chasing after the world championship. And if MJF does not have the world championship uh, for Wardlow to chase after, I'm not sure exactly what the goal would be for Wardlow. I mean, yes, he could destroy MJF, but what's next for Wardlow? So he kind of waits in the weeds and waits for his opportunity for the world title, but he has to hop in line. There's a whole bunch of people behind him, uh, ahead of him, and all around him that are destined for the world championship. So I think the timing has to be right, and I think they might be seeing that. I think we might be having them having second thoughts about pulling the trigger on this MJF and Wardlow feud. And if they would have done it a few weeks ago, um, I think people wouldn't have been as excited. I think right now people are chopping up the bit to see Wardlow come out there and destroy MJF eventually. Uh, so it seems like the stars are aligning. We might actually have MJF in a, in a championship feud. Uh, it may have to wait until after Revolution because it seems like Adam Cole has his eyes on, on that championship that Hangman did indeed retain. Uh, but I think the right move is to have Wardlow eventually turn when MJF is champion. So I think that's the right move. And I, I'm just afraid to have this conversation with Nick later that it might be too late uh, by the time they get there because they they went so hot and heavy on this feud that putting it to simmer on the back burner might be a little bit um, unbelievable because especially all that MJF is putting Wardlow through. Um, so like I said, MJF is setting his sights on the world championship. Um, so now Dax grabs the mic and Dax says he wants a rematch because if you remember that famous, well, the now famous six-man tag match where uh, Punk dressed as Sting and uh, Darby was in the match and wore some Sting face paint as well. Uh, so he wants a rematch, and Punk agreed to run back the six-man tag match. MJF agreed, but on the condition that Punk has to find a partner and defeat FTR, and the condition was that Darby and Sting couldn't be his partner. So MJF was lying, relying on the fact that he wouldn't be able to find a partner in the back. Um, and he said, in the meantime, Wardlow's got a match next. So, again, slow build here. It's a little bit unbelievable to me that MJF would just accept the fact that if Punk wants a rematch, all he has to do is – uh, beat FTR after running away from Punk for so long and knowing that maybe the win would be wiped away if Punk was able to get his hands on him again. I don't know. The storytelling was a little weak for me here, and I'll talk to Nick about that when he gets on here. I just felt like there was a little bit missing from this segment, uh, but MJF was classic. Him coming out on the palanquin, the, that's the thing that, is, that they carry out royalty on. Reminds me of Aladdin uh, when he's Prince Ali, something like that. 
uh, was awesome. And I, I love how MJF is leaning so far into this and uh, him saying he beat Punk twice in Chicago is going to be a thing. It's just like when Jericho used, I beat Stone Cold and The Rock in the same night when he won the Undisputed Championship at Vengeance 2001. So uh, this is going to be here forever. I think we're going to hear MJF saying that for a very long time. And uh, that's the type of rub that uh, I can take a character to the next level. And him being able to say that, whether just because he cheated doesn't matter. People forget that Jericho did. Only reason he beat The Rock and Stone Cold was because of the NWO and uh, obviously a lot of cheating going on, but no one remembers that. They remember him as the first undisputed champion and people throughout history are going to remember MJF as beating Punk twice in Chicago. And that's awesome to me. All right. So we had a follow-up, a follow-up segment with Sting and Darby. So they were all over the show. Uh, Andrade Idolo was backstage with Sting and, Dar- with Sting and Darby. And we know that uh, Andrade has been chasing down Darby and trying to get him to work for him. Um, he knows Alan works for Sting, but Sting told Andrade to speak to Alan face-to-face. Darby said he's got better things to do, like become the next TNT champion. And Andrade came by, uh, came back by saying he will be the next champion. Um, so they'll have to deal with each other. So, judgments, we have two potential number one contenders for different championships. So Andrade... And Darby both laying claim to the Teen Team Championship. So that title picture is kind of becoming a little bit more clear for what's going, going to go on with Sammy. And now we have MJF laying claim on potentially wanting the world championship. And we, we heard Adam Cole say that as well. So something big is coming here. Obviously, someone has to be first in line. Or maybe they're doing a bigger match. I'm not sure. We've only seen a few uh, multi-man world championship matches in AEW history. Most have been one for one. I know, you know, specifically, I can remember Orange Cassidy in the, in the triple threat match uh, for the world championship. But uh, we may be seeing MJF and Adam Cole and Hangman all getting involved in a big match. That's just my hunch here. I feel like we may have a, uh, a larger picture on our hands, but as things become clearer, I think, you know, we might get the singles match between Adam Cole and MJF at revolution, but following that uh, obviously MJF has to be soon. And I can't foresee MJF not winning the championship. It just his all the momentum is there. And I have been saying that for a very long time now. MJF should be the guy to take the title off of, of Hangman, and I still believe that. And I think the best the best thing to do here is to ride the momentum that is MJF right now. And you know, all they all they can do right now is the World Championship. What else can MJF do? So uh, interested with this Andrade stuff a little bit. It's a lot of mid card stuff going on, but at the same time. Uh, it's giving Andrade and Matt Hardy and the HFO something to do. So I'm all for it. So we'll see where it goes with, with Darby. I'm just hoping that they don't uh, get foolish here and have Darby turn heel and join Andrade for whatever reason. So fingers crossed they don't do that. I would not be into that at all. All right. So following this, we had Wardlow defeating the Blade. Uh, and this match, as expected, Wardlow got the win here. Uh, but it was weird. It was a weird formatted match. And the Blade got way, way too much offense. So if you remember Wardlow wrestling Punk, and of course, of course everybody does, but Punk got no offense in and Wardlow absolutely destroyed him. Blade went out here and had a lot of legitimate offense on Wardlow, which as a, as a casual fan may be sitting there and saying Blade is equal to CM Punk, and that's not what you should have taken from this match. Obviously, Wardlow got the win. He destroyed Blade. Uh, but like I said, Blade was taking it to Wardlow throughout the match. He chopped him down from behind before the bell granted. But he went after his knee, and he got some good offense in. So 
I'm happy that Wardlow looks strong here, but I just was not happy that Blade got so much time in. I'm okay with someone taking Wardlow to the limit, but it, why is it the Blade? Especially after what he just did the Punk, it just didn't make any sense to me. I know they used the knee thing to buy a little bit of why Wardlow wasn't able to be uh, as dominant as he usually is, uh, but why the Blade? It made no sense to me. So uh, it could have been another young talent, maybe a, another young heel. I'd have to sit and look at the roster and see who I, uh, who else I would have put there, but Definitely not the Blade. Uh, so going through the match, like I mentioned, Blade chopped him down from behind before the bell, and Wardlow immediately popped back up and took him down with repeated suplexes. He drove Blades back into the ring post ahead of the commercial, and once back, Wardlow shrugged him off uh, with some chops and ran into a couple knee strikes. He caught a third and turned into a powerbomb, commencing into the powerbomb symphony. Um, so he hit four powerbombs, much to the chagrin of Sean Spears at ringside. He wanted him to stop and just pin him. Uh, so he pinned him, just putting his foot on his chest. And uh, Wardlow is unstoppable right now. But again, makes no sense why Blade even got any offense in on Wardlow. Should have been somebody else or no offense at all. Just it might have been the format of the commercials, and especially the way the show was formatted, they were they were definitely pressed for time. So given this even more time than it should have gotten was, uh, in my opinion, foolish. So uh, after the match, Sean Spears whacked Blade with the chair. Wardlow looked upset. And they moved on from there. So uh, Warlow is definitely commencing with a face turn very, very soon. Uh, but it's a matter of when at this point. So we shall see when they decide to pull the trigger. And like I mentioned before, uh, I think it should be when MJF is world champion. I know people don't want to wait that long. And because of the fact that they've been pushing it for quite some time, we're going to be uh, they're going to be stuck with a decision to make because this storyline could get very bland and unbelievable if you leave Warlow on the back burner of, uh, just accepting the fact that he's going to be with MJF and taking this, taking the beating from him. I know they could take the heat off a little bit and have MJF, I guess, apologize to Wardlow and then eventually it builds back up. And I guess they could go that route. But uh, as of right now, like it's ready to ready to burst in the crowd in the crowd in Atlantic City. They were chanting for Wardlow. And it's the first time I've heard the Wardlow chant. And like I mentioned, it was a hot crowd, a very vocal crowd. And they were chanting Wardlow in the Goldberg uh, cadence. So they're on to something with war though, and I'm just I just don't want them to lose momentum. So uh, I'm stuck in I'm stuck in the middle of how I feel it should go. Uh, but they kind of put themselves in the corner and they kind of have to pull the trigger at this point. And I think Wardlow uh is probably gonna have to turn by by revolution, which is in a, in a couple weeks. So um, my prediction is he won't, but I think that he probably should at this point. And that's not the way I would have done it from the beginning, but at this point, you don't want to lose the momentum. All right, so this uh, I wanted to mention, this was really, really quick. So Pentel, Sarah Mieto, uh, video package aired, and they're playing into the canon of Malachi Black's mist is going to affect people negatively, and we've seen that happen with a few people, uh, most notably Pac, who got blinded by it, uh, Julia Hart, who's now uh, teetering on being a bad uh, a heel, and she wears the eye patch, and now we have Penta, uh, so the this was narrated by Alex Abrahantes. It repeatedly called that Malachi Black, and it had a lot of dark imagery here. We might be getting an evil side of Penta, which I'm all for. And they might be looking for something to, different to do with him at this point because of the fact that uh, you have Ray Phoenix out for quite some time uh, at this point, and maybe for the time being before Phoenix comes back, you just have Penta uh, have a different side to him, and I'm all for it. I know that we got a singles run in Impact. He had a, you know, he was a main eventer there, and I would love to see that. I know the main event is stacked in AEW, but 
Penta would add a different dynamic to uh, the world title picture if they're if they have the courage to put him there. And I think this edge to his character. And I know we show we only saw a short snippet of what was going on in the in the package, and my imagination maybe is just running wild. But I think having him have a different edge to him and not just be the tag team wrestler, uh, this could be it for him. So I'm curious where it goes, and it may go nowhere. I just think maybe at this point uh, we're going to be seeing potentially uh, Penta continues to Malachi Black, but I think he's going to have an edge going forward. So uh, joining me here in the room, I'm going to pop, pop him in right now, right now is Nick the Comic Nerd, so get him in the room. What's up, man? What's going on, Nick? How are you, man? Good, you? I'm good. We were just uh, breaking down the first couple segments. I know you missed the first 15 minutes of the show. Yep. Uh, so we just talked about the MJF celebration. Saw that. Con- confronting Sting and Darby, and then the Wardlow match uh, with Blade. So that's all you missed so far. Cool. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on those things? Just pretty quick. Um, I thought the promotion with uh, MJF doing the celebration and Punk coming out and earning, I thought that was all really well done. Um, I loved the call out and I love that the call out happened tonight. I'm guessing you're leading up to that. Um, um, and I did see most of the Wardlow match. He did win. Yes. Yes. And the thing is that what I was saying with the Wardlow matches, I just, maybe it was the format of the commercial break in the middle that they need to have picture in picture and they couldn't end the match, but blade got way too much offense in, uh, for a Wardlow match, especially going after the punk, uh, having the fact that you destroyed punk. Uh, if you look 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 back and watch that match. Blade hit him with two knees, um, hit a couple of uh, elbow strikes. He had Wardlow down for a bit. It just made no sense to me for Blade out of all people. I'm okay with it. Ha- I don't think Wardlow should be unstoppable at all times. Don't right. get me wrong. But Blade shouldn't be the guy taking him down. That was just my problem with it. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I said, I didn't see the whole thing, unfortunately, but I saw some of it. Um, yeah, I agree 100% with you. Um, Blade isn't a name that I think – should be running up and making Wardlow look like he's not as strong as he is. I don't like that at all. So yeah, he took him down from behind with like a, with a a chop block behind the knee and took him down from the beginning. So it was a cheap shot, but at the same time, why don't you have another young heel? And again, I have to look at the list and find the guy who I'd rather put in that spot. You could have done the same exact thing with somebody else. And it could have been a really nice rub for another person that could need, could use it. Because At the end of the day, let's be honest, where's blade going where like, he's not doing anything. Right, and he'll be on dark. Blade is kind of the, on the spot that he is in the card is where he's going to be, and you know Blade's an, a good wrestler, and like the, I like him and Butcher as a tag team and the HFO stuff. But let's be honest, like that's his spot on the card. So like, w- what are we doing here? Yeah, that would have been better as a tag team of some kind. Put the Butcher and the Blade out there together, and you know I don't know, but yeah, it was a weird thing, and that, and I, I know I'm nitpicking here because it was a really good show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the yeah. other thing I brought up too was the Penta thing. So. I'm not sure if you saw the video package of Penta, but he got obviously missed it a few weeks ago. And they had a, a short video package that was uh, narrated by Alex Abrahantes. And it sounded like Penta is going to have like an evil side to him. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. It was like filmed in a graveyard. So I'm oh, definitely sick. curious what they're doing with this. So uh, I don't know. My imagination was running wild because I love Penta. He's one of my favorite wrestlers. And I think him in a main event position uh, I think it's contingent on him having something a little more interesting going on with his character. He can't be wearing the same Joker outfit every week. It has to be something different. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I'm very interested in what they'll do with that. Yeah, so we'll see. And I know, again, it was like a, not even a 20-second vignette, but I thought it was something that uh, caught my eye. And every, like I said, everything with Malachi Black and Brody King always catches my eye, but uh, Penta as well. 
All right, let's move on to the inner circle team meeting. So I forgot um, about this. I didn't see it. All right. So Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Jake Hager came out to Judas wearing inner circle vests. Jericho said he hadn't seen Santana and Ortiz all day, but then they interrupted and came out with new music. So uh, Jericho asked Santana and Ortiz to explain not tagging him in a couple of weeks, calling it disrespectful. Santana said that Jericho only cares about himself and the inner circle has only served Jericho's interests. Anytime they go after the tag titles, it gets shut down so they can back up Jericho. And then this is the quote that was uh, said by Santana. The days of us playing second fiddle are over and done. The only thing that has kept them going was with the fans. And if it wasn't for Ortiz, Santana would have dropped Jericho a long time ago. Santana reminds Jericho of Eddie Guerrero, which I thought was a weird comment by Jericho. Uh, but he's making a mistake turning to Eddie Kingston's Jericho is an influencer. And since, since Santana and Ortiz came to AEW, they've challenged for championship and main event to pay-per-views. They already challenged for the tag titles and lost. Uh, Jericho uh, said that maybe we picked the uh, – this was a line of the night, I think, for Jericho. Maybe they picked the two wrong members of LAX. And then I think he said, uh, do you know where Homicide and uh, – I forgot the other guy's name from LAX. And then Santana jumped him and started choking him, and Sammy got in the middle uh, and said, guys, we're family. Let's stop. And then Sammy got all upset, and Sammy – took his vest off and said, until you guys figured this out, I'm done. And uh, it seems Damn. like sort of the inner circle stuff is starting, starting to fade away. And then after that, we're, uh, we have a match scheduled for next week, which is Santana and Ortiz versus Jericho and Jake Hager. Uh, and Jericho said he's going to try to give them an attitude adjustment. I don't know, man. I think this is it for the inner circle. And it's a weird ending for what was one of the most uh, formidable factions in uh, recent wrestling history. Yeah, very uh, very different than what I was expecting. I mean, I expected a bit of a breakup. Um, that's a cool tag team match next week. I do like that, and I do respect the Sammy move. I like him. You know, I mean, I don't love him taking the vest off, but I get it. Like maybe trying to get them to hold still, but you know, I guess it was all for nothing, depending on what happens next week. So that's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, big, big fan of Santana and Ortiz stepping up to the plate though. Like it a lot. Yeah. So Sammy had mentioned, and I thought that this was funny. Cause the first thing that came to mind was that he already quit the inner circle at one point. And okay. because he quit it, if you remember with, when MJF joined the inner circle for a bit and Sammy said, I'm going to, I'm going to quit the inner circle again. So at least like with AEW, they're consistent and they don't ignore history. So we shall see again, this is sort of a, a very, anticlimactic way for this to end it's not like there was a significant heel turn most factions end in a way that's like explosive and someone turns on each other i thought this might have been more effective if santana and ortiz maybe turned on jericho when he least expected it maybe that would have been more effective to start their run towards the tag titles but we'll see maybe they don't break up maybe they earn each other's respect back by beating the crap out of each other next week cool yeah no do you think they're done or do you think that I think that Santina, oh Santina, Santana and Ortiz are out for sure. Like that's what my gut is telling me. Um, but I don't know. Like, is would Jericho try and replace them, you know, and get Sammy back and keep Hager and then bring in two more people? Like, who would be a tag team? Maybe he'd replace Santana and Ortiz with. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's Jericho transitioning to the full time announce booth. So at this point, maybe that's that could be it too. Yeah, like what they're doing. Maybe, and right. Maybe he's the one that doesn't come back and. Maybe Sammy like leads the inner circle or something. I think I said that last week too. So. Yeah, I don't know. The inner circle has kind of been on the back burner for quite some time at this point. So 
it's almost like I would have been really upset about this a year ago when they broke up, but at this point, it's almost like they haven't been involved in story in the storylines for a while anyway. Yeah, them in the dark order. Like, where have they been? Like, you know, you see right, they wrestle under the banner, but then that's pretty much it. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next segment. And this was a big thing. So this is the first surprise of the night. This and this was the this is the forbidden door thing that everyone was promising. And I mentioned in the beginning of the show that uh, people were a little bit jaded on Tony Khan because of the Christian signing uh, a while ago, saying that he doesn't really live up to his promises. But in my opinion, he's he's done nothing but uh, lived up to every promise he's ever made. And if you really look at the history of it, Christian, despite not being who people wanted at the moment, was a huge signing. He was retired for all that time. Uh, so not going to get stuck on that right now, but uh, let's talk about this segment. So Rapongi Vice was backstage, and they will face the Young Bucks on Friday, uh, this Friday on Rampage. The Bucks walked up and wanted to fight right now, but Adam Cole attacked Rapongi Vice from behind, and the Bucks hit the BTE trigger on Rocky Romero. And then from behind, you just this was a really great uh, filming as well. Like the back of Jay White was, was seen. Only the Switchblade logo was seen on the back of the leather jacket. Uh, Jay White of New Japan Pro Wrestling walked up and sent Trent into the truck, and I marked out. I mean, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jay White's work, but he is a top five level wrestler in the world, and you know he's a great heel. And this has been written on the wall for quite some time. If you watch New Japan Strong at all, he's been saying the he's been saying AEW pretty much every week. So. Uh, I sort of expected this to happen. I didn't, I, I wouldn't say I expected it tonight, but I knew eventually it was going to happen. And the fact that he's here is sort of surreal. And I think people are in for a surprise, especially fans that don't watch new Japan wrestling. I think that, uh, Jay White's going to open up a lot of eyes to, uh, how great he really is. I'm super excited. Yeah, no, um, I didn't know who it was at first. Cause the back of his jacket, what it just says switchblade, right? Yeah. It has the four marks with uh yeah okay um when he turned around i was like oh i know that face i don't remember where i know it from and being somebody who like recently started watching new japan like i'm watching like old stuff um it made me think like i gotta watch this guy and my big thing is and i know we'll talk about it later when they went back to cole later in the show and he was talking to jay white and he was saying like oh didn't he rival with kenny omega like that instantly made it catch my attention too and i was like i can't wait to see this dude in action so very very excited yeah when kenny came over to AEW, jy pretty much took over as like the face of new japan pro wrestling so he kind of took the banner and carried it for quite some time and for AEW to get him over like it's not just some random mid like this is the guy yeah yeah from new japan pro wrestling and shows the serious relationship that both New Japan and AEW have that have come together at this point. Uh, and the fact that uh, New Japan is trusting AEW with Jay White and to book him correctly because he is a huge part of what they're doing there. And you know what? I think COVID in 2020 and the way things have shaped up with New Japan and how they're not able to have full capacity. And uh, for a while, Jay White has not been, been able to be uh, used in Japan because he wasn't able to get back there for quite some time. And all the quarantine stuff and blah, blah, blah. That might have might have said, like, we need this guy on TV. We need to get him out there and put his face out there. And that publicity, the fact Rocky Romero is wearing the New Japan logo uh, on his jacket, and then also you have Jay White, who was there. It's like the most publicity they've had in quite some time. So uh, win-win situation. I just can't wait Absolutely. to see Jay White wrestling all these uh, 
all these new faces here in AEW. Yeah, that was going to be my thing too. I was going to say it's got to be a win for both sides, you know, because you know AEW isn't going to bring on anybody who shouldn't be there. Um, and then you also, you know, this will be something cool for New Japan because it could draw more attraction to them, you know, like, oh, this guy came from here and, you know, it's still the Forbidden Door thing. Like, this is, you know, I feel like in my head, like, I didn't know who was coming through the Forbidden Door, you know. I thought it was going to be the Isaiah, Isaiah Cassidy match. But in my head, like, I think in, like, four weeks I'm going to say this was the perfect guy to bring through the Forbidden Door, and I just didn't know it at the time. So very much looking forward to it. Yeah, and I have yet to hear the details of how long he's there and what he will be doing and what capacity. I have a feeling he's going to be involved in a lot of tag matches. Uh, but, you know, the possibilities are endless at this point. Like, I would love to, just the fact that you have now the guy who debuted next, Keith Lee, and Jay White in the same company is insane to me like that the possibility of them interacting and having a match is there at this point and because of tony khan and because of the forbidden door stuff and because of his openness and i guess progressive thinking we're able to have these guys uh and it just seems like the multiverse of wrestling has grown uh in the last three years and it's just a lot of fun to watch so it's really cool i definitely was not disappointed and i i just couldn't believe to see him on the t on tv and it was done well, like the way that way it was filmed, like I said, was done really well and effective and it wasn't overdone. Um, and I know they were saving up, obviously, the next moment that happened with uh, Keith Lee. Uh, they had to figure out a creative way to to open the Forbidden Door in this way. And it was done in a backstage segment. And yeah. I, I wouldn't have done it any differently. It was perfect. Yeah, I think having Cole and the Young Bucks do it, too, was a huge a huge help. I think that was really, I, th I think it was perfectly done. Just like you said, I was, it's cool because like you want to see a lot of guys debut in the ring, but I think seeing him debut backstage was like, that was awesome. Yeah. No, it, it also muddies the water a bit when Kenny comes back as well. And Adam Cole had said uh bullet club for life. And now it's like the elite uh, people are loyal to the elite and they're loyal to the bull club. And all those things are merged and it, it's just all the worlds are colliding. And I just think it's super cool that, we have the opportunity to watch these guys interact. And it's like to think about where the Bucks were all those years ago in New Japan and Ring of Honor and stuff. And to see now on this national platform, it's just, it's surreal to see. Absolutely. Let's move on to the biggest moment of the night. So we had the face of the revolution qualifier match, the debuting Keith Lee defeated Isaiah Cassidy with Matt Hardy and Mark Quinn. And goddamn, what a freaking debut for Keith Lee. Uh, no words, man. Like I'm so happy for the guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was one of the guys that I was shocked. I mean, between him, Bray Wyatt, and let's be honest, Braun Strowman being released. They're the three guys that thought they would never be released. I mean, Keith Lee, they gave him such a marquee moment in the Royal Rumble going face to face with Brock Lesnar only two years ago at this point. And to see where he was, and then when he got called up to the main roster and they completely revamped his character, changed his music, changed his attire, and took all the wind out of his sails. And to see just how motivated, just how happy, just how, just, I guess, grateful to be in the ring yeah, uh, was just amazing. I mean, he was wearing the same tights, the same colored tights that he did on Raw during his debut. So Yeah. Um, it's cool because 
You know, and you saw the what, what did they call him in the limitless one on WWE? I don't remember. I don't think in so. NXT he was limitless and it was basking my glory. So yeah, they went completely with that, and it was yeah, awesome. which is great because that's what it should have been because they didn't do that in on Raw. Um, it was funny because it was like I saw this Keith Lee and I was like, this is gonna be sick. But it sucks for some people, like because if you only were like, thankfully, when I started watching NXT, he was a big name in NXT, so it's like. For people who didn't watch NXT, if you know the Keith Lee from Raw, you're like, crap, this guy isn't that cool. But if you know the Keith Lee from NXT, dude, like you've got the same guy at the same level as like Adam Cole. Like, and for oh, me, 100%. that's what I remember. Yeah, it's like I remember Keith Lee from NXT, and I was like, this is gonna be freaking awesome from the jump. And you could see it in his face. He was so happy. Everybody stood up for him. And then when he got in the ring, when he won and he got in the ring, he did the point. And I was like, dude, this is like this is what he's been waiting for because Raw yeah. didn't give him that. And amazing. So well, well done. I'm just going to take what happened on the, when he got called up to Raw and the whole Bearcat stuff and just erase it from memory and pretend that his jump to the main roster went from NXT all the AEW. way to AEW. And unfortunately, he had some health issues and he had to take time off. And, you know, all that stuff was like – it was a, it was shrouded in mystery. We didn't know if he was even going to be wrestling again. So uh, he made a huge fan of me during his NXT run. I know he was a big name prior to his NXT run. Uh, but just the idea that they put so much behind him, WWE being or NXT, yeah, to be a huge, huge superstar, and they just dropped the ball on him is amazing. And I just feel like Keith Lee is going to be that transcendent star for AEW. I just feel it. Yep. Um, but like I said, he's the mystery guy, huge, huge pop, the music, everything, the entrance. It just felt like a really big deal. Even if you didn't know who he was, you knew that he was somebody. Yeah. Um. So he was immediately greeted by a loud bask in my glory, basking his glory chants. All the old school NXT chants were coming out. Uh, just an amazing, I mean, it had to feel so good for Keith Lee. Because I know like when Punk came out and, and returned to the ring, you know that people remember, but you're still that that's that there's that doubt in the back of your mind, like maybe they don't, maybe no one really cares. And from the immediate jump, people all greeted Keith Lee with nothing but just just happiness. And it was it was awesome. Yep, it was pure, raw, organic emotion. And I think that's exactly what Keith Lee needed because you're gonna see Keith Lee every single week on AEW, I think, for a while. Yeah, and I think, and I will talk about where we're going, what we're going to do with leaks. I have a new segment at the end of uh, this to talk about, but uh, talking about this match. So Cassie had enough of the reception for Lee, and was sent to corner to corner with a ridiculous throw. I don't, I don't know if you saw the hang time on Cassidy across the ring. He almost like he could have been thrown out of the ring. Yeah, uh, just amazing. And credit to Cassidy for the the sell job on that as well. Yeah. So Lee followed it up with an athletic leapfrog and then dropped down combo into the crossbody. A slingshot crossbody was next. Cassie hit a drop kick, but was pounced out of the ring in a response. Hardy had enough, and he walked uh, walked out on Cassidy and Mark Quinn. Uh, Quinn grabbed Lee's boot, boot, allowing Cassidy to hit a cutter over the top rope, followed by a uh, dive. Lee swatted away a strike combination, hit ground zero for the win. Uh, after the match, Private Party took Lee out with a tandem offense, but Lee caught them both individually on dives and powerbombed Quinn onto Cassidy, and then on the apron. He caught him flying. I don't think I've ever seen that. Like as nah. As easy as it looked, just carry this caught him in a powerbomb position and then slammed him on the mat. It was just what a debut. Like yeah. you can't write it better than that. Yeah. I think it was everything. 
I think it was everything like Keith Lee wanted it to be because there was almost like a subtle pause in everything like that. He was like catching the emotions the crowd was giving him like, and you know, it just took over him. And I think that's amazing. But yeah, when he threw up Cassidy and then caught him in like the Samoan drop position, I was like, he just sent this guy, <laughs> caught him clean, no stumble, no fumble. Nothing. And just awesome. Well, so well done. The fact for a man, his size to be able to do the moves he does. And I've always said this, uh, is just remarkable. Like he goes out there and he shouldn't be able to do the things he does. And he only showed an eighth of the things he can do in the ring. I know he can do more. And if you watch any of those matches, whether it be with uh, Djokovic uh, at takeover Portland or his match with Cole, at great American bash, or just go down the list of his NXT matches that he had, uh, the guy can go. And I'm just, the fact that he's not going to have, I mean, I don't want to use the, the the word, but limits on him. He's going to be limitless, and AEW is not going to hold him back like WWE main roster is. He was trying to wrestle their style and fit what they wanted out of a champion. AEW doesn't care. They want you to go out there and be yourself, and he feels like a really big deal, and there's something you can't teach about his, his presence, and he has it. He feels like a big deal. He feels like a main eventer upon entering to the company, and they just have a bona fide main eventer served up on a silver platter that was, you know, curated in NXT and made for perfection. And it's like, what did they do? Yeah. For WWE to do that, like, I know I talked about Cole being a ridiculous miss. Keith Lee is their guy. Like he's a, he's the size they want. He is a main eventer. He's good on the mic. He's charismatic. Like, I guess they couldn't get over the fact that he's not, you know, a washboard ab guy that he's not going to go right. out there and be a guy that's going to be on the cover of like muscle and fitness. Like who cares, man, the guy's out there. He's, he could kick anyone's ass. Like you see yep. that, like he is enormous in the ring, like personality wise and presence wise. And then the fact that he is a guy who can do lucha lucha style moves as a, a guy, his side, it's just remarkable. Yeah. No, I think people who don't know him are in for a great showing. Yeah, and I just I, like I, I the the options are are endless for me. I think like obviously he's in this ladder match, and I don't think we've seen him in a ladder match in a in NXT at all. So seeing him, I mean, I, I know he was in a War Games match, so he's been in some specialty matches, but him being in a, in a ladder match with five other guys is going to be fun at Revolution. And I think put the TNT title on him. Why not? Like just have him come in and and beat Sammy and then go go on from there. I think he deserves to be highlighted from the immediate jump. No slow build, no Miro treatment where like he's a, a weird mid-card gamer. Make Keith Lee the main event immediately. I'm not saying put the title on him, but goddamn. No, I get it. Yeah, no, I get it. I agree. All right, I can talk about Keith Lee all day, but let's move on to the next thing. So a video promo recap, the Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa, Mercedes Martinez feud. Next week, Rosa will face Martinez in a no disqualification match. Uh, so not much to note here. Uh, I think we're building closer towards uh, the Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa mats. It may be coming in, at Revolution. It may not. I think at this point, Revolution is March 6th, which is just about a month away. Uh, for a while, they kept Thunder and Britt Baker far apart. Now it seems like they're coming closer and closer together. So we may have Thunder taking the title off Britt and I've been saying for a long time now that Thunder is going to be the, the woman to take it off of Brit. As it's becoming closer, I don't know how I feel about it. It's it's hard because I can't imagine Brit without the belt on her. Um, it's very hard because then it's like, what do you do with Brit Baker? You know, like 
if she's not the champion, like not that she's nothing without the championship, but it's just weird to imagine her without it. And I just can't imagine that right now, you know, but I can imagine Thunder as the champion and, you know, it's just wild. Like how many more people would Thunder Rosa have to beat to get her chance at Brit again? And, you know, but with- it has to happen. It makes sense. And every good comic book, we want to talk about, you know, bring it into your world. Every good superhero or great superhero has their kryptonite or they're someone that just has their number. And I think Thunder may be that for Britt Baker. And that's good storytelling. Like, obviously, it's, you know, what makes a lot of, uh, like, Superman is, is for me, he's unbeatable. I mean, if he didn't have kryptonite, who's who's taking on an alien who can breathe in outer space and just, yeah. why is that interesting? Every, Every superhero, Britt Baker, they need something that can, can get the best of them. And I think Thunder Rosa is that for Britt Baker. And that just makes the story more interesting. Yeah, no, I think if this is one of the matches at Evolution, I think this is the match where all eyes on me are going to have, you know, I think this is the one that everybody's going to be edge of their seat with. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be a lot to top because of the fact that we remember that the lights out match. And uh, I don't think like a lot of the lights out stuff, that match was one of my matches of the year, top five. People will look back and say, because of the fact that the stipulation made it a made it a great match. And I disagree with that. It would have been a great match no matter what. And I think the two of them have great chemistry. And I think stipulation, no stipulation doesn't matter. I think the two of them are going to have a great match. And I think it's going to have a big match feel for the first time in the women's division in quite some time, if ever. I feel like Brit and Thunder have been chasing each other for the, and floating in different directions. They're finally going to meet. So it's exciting. Yeah, very all right, let's move on to this. So CM Punk uh, was challenged by MJF to find a partner. And to my surprise, it was John Moxley. Same. Uh, so a great, great match defeating FTR, uh, Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler with Tully Blanchard. Uh, this match was pretty goddamn long. Uh, and there was a lot of near falls, uh, a couple spots where I just thought the match would be over. And there was a spot that FTR had a near fall and they were going to get the win. I thought this was a great match. I'm not sure if you felt the same way. I did. I sent it in the group chat. I know it's like petty for me to do this, but there was like two points or what's her name? Aubrey or Audrey? Yeah, Aubrey rap- Edwards. She, I thought she was terrible throughout some of this. And I was like, oh, it sucks. Cause like I follow her on Instagram. I know how much she loves to do this. I think she like ruined one or two moments of it, but it didn't ruin the match, you know? Um, but yeah, I was not expecting Moxley at all. I didn't know who he was going to go get because I was like, you're not going to do sting and darby again because we've already done that you know well, they said they said he said he couldn't pick either one mjf that was a part of the deal okay um you know and then i felt back and i was like oh, who has he like kind of partnered with before and i was like oh i don't know who he's gonna get and then i was busy at work and i came back and he was with moxley and i was like oh this is really good so uh but yeah what a great match overall my initial thought and i said it during the opening the opening segment of this uh was potentially wardlow and I thought maybe that would have been Wardlow's face turn. And I thought, I don't know if I'd be happy with doing that. I just felt like they were going that way because Punk was telling Wardlow he should drop uh, MJF. And, yeah. you know, obviously Punk admitted that Wardlow had him beat in Chicago. Not in Chicago, in the in the match that he almost destroyed him in. And then obviously yeah. MJF cost him the match. But I also thought it could have been Danhausen as well because I know Danhausen and Punk are, cool. are friends on – Instagram and stuff, but Moxley was a good, was a definitely a 
uh, it was a cool moment. Seeing them together in the ring was sort of surreal. It was cool. It was what shocked me was like the whole after last week with the whole um, Brian Danielson thing, you know, offering Moxley a partnership. I thought it was strange that to see Moxley in another tag team, but I guess at the same time, you know, it's unscripted John Moxley. So, or maybe they're going to use it for Danielson to say like, like, see, you're great as a tag wrestler. Yeah. Why don't you take it with me? Yeah. I, f- I fully expected Danielson to come out and like kind of give them both a look. Anything that would give me Danielson and Punk tagging together, I- I'm all for it. So if somehow the three of them can make this like tandem, which yeah. would be amazing, yeah. the challenge for the six-man championships, that'd be fantastic. Uh, so the ending in this match, so Punk and, Mo- and Moxley both teased their finishers, but FGR fought out. They went for the stuffed pile driver, but Moxley broke it up. Punk rolled through a crossbody into an anaconda vice and cash tapped frantically. But uh, as you mentioned, the ref was distracted. Tully entered the ring and distracted Punk, but Punk hit him with a GTS, and kudos to Tully for taking the GTS. That, uh, that was a bad spot. Yeah, Cash rolled Punk up with the tights for another close fall. Moxie and Punk both hit simultaneous GTS and paradigm shifts for the win. Uh, chaos at the end of the match. Uh, people seem like they were in the wrong spot. Like there was yes. one spot there was a near fall uh, where I think FTR hit the big rig, and they both mentioned um, – and this was interesting. In fact, both the announcers and then every notes that I was seeing on on uh, social media that no one has kicked out of the big rig or been broken up. Yeah. In AEW history. Yeah. I didn't know it was that protective of a finisher. I didn't either. And that's where I thought that was the first moment I saw her. Aubrey it was like she was staring, watching them, and they were on top of Punk, and she didn't get down at all. And I was like, what? What? Why are right. you counting? Like that threw me off. Like I said, that's just petty. That's just a little petty thing I wanted to throw in there. I just well, didn't love that. jumped in, and it was like awkward placement. And like if this was like he literally just landed on top of him, and it just was a mess. Because Aubrey didn't start counting, dude. I'm telling you, John got Moxie got in the ring. Aubrey should have already been counting, but she wasn't. So Moxie stood up and like kind of did like a drunken fall thing because she right. wasn't counting yet. And it was like you were supposed to probably start counting. Like I hate that. I don't want to see a referee ruin a match. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the be- the best moments of referees when you don't notice them. So absolutely, I agree. Uh, but this was a great match, and I mean, the ending was a little bit muddied, like we mentioned before. And even the ending with uh, then with the Anaconda Vice with him tapping, it just seemed like it was a mess. And then both of them were like, "Let's just end it. Let's hit the paradigm shift for GTS and for the pin." Yeah. Uh, so great match, in my opinion. It was a cool moment to see Moxley and Punk tagging together. FTR, despite being on a losing effort, they got a really good rub here. I felt like they uh, were in a a position to look good. It sucks that they lost. I mean, it was the right booking decision because yeah, point like you need Punk and Moxley to win this match. But uh, I just love FTR being highlighted in any way, and this was awesome. Yeah, it's awesome to watch them. I kind of want to go back and count because I love the little things you do where you like so I go yeah. If you notice this or this or this, and it's like a little thing that's like always in front of you, but that you don't notice. I don't know that FTR is one since they've been with MJF. It's something I want to look at. Um, I feel like no, I feel like they were tag they're they've they've been tag champions since they were in the pinnacle. No, yeah, you think so? No, I I know so for sure. Well no, that no, that well that I'll give you, but I'm just saying sit with the whole thing, like since they've been on stage with MJF, like you're the three the, the three man match, they lost that. Okay. Um then they do it, man. We can go to cage match in a little bit. Uh and we'll look up the the F and I know they haven't they've definitely lost more than they've won for sure. Okay, yeah. So that I mean that's probably what really is going on. But and I'm it's just by, by booking, it's just like and people were complaining that obviously in WWE they they left 
as one of the best tag teams and they were not being treated correctly. And then to come to AEW and be booked in a way that you're still losing. Uh, but there's a difference between uh, losing and looking like a geek and then losing and still looking like a main eventer. Yeah. And I felt like Dax and Cash both walked out of this match despite losing. They felt like a big deal. You're watching this match from the outside looking in, you know that FTR, you know, they almost had it won and Punk and Moxley had to give everything it took to beat them. So, you know, I think that is much different than them going out there and looking like geeks. Oh, 100%. I couldn't agree more. All right. Let's move on to the TBS championship. And I will look up the FTR uh, and look up their record uh, in AEW. So, TBS championship open challenge was Jade Cargill defeated AQA in an open challenge. Uh, AQA cut a promo before the match and she was trained by Booker T and said Dynamite was the best place to prove herself. AQA is the former Zeta Ramier in, in NXT, if you didn't know. So she's been on WWE and NXT for a bit. Yeah. This, this has been her debut. This was her debut in AEW. Uh, she hit a huge shooting star press, which was awesome. Insane. Uh, but man, this match sort of struggled a bit. And I'm not sure if it was AQA's fault or Jade's fault. There was no flow to this match. There were a couple spots where uh, she threw into the ropes and she didn't move. And man, it was pretty ugly for a bit. And I don't know. I think Jade's improving, but I think when she's in the ring with someone young like AQA, it, it it's a mess. Yeah. Um, I thought AQA had a great showing. I was like, this chick is awesome. Um, I'm not going to say it. We know how I feel about Jade Cargill. I do have to give her props. Since she's been champion, once a week she's been fighting for the belt, which I love to see. Big fighting champion guy. There was an article on SI saying that Brian Danielson is working with Jade to uh, mentor her and train her. and Not train her, but like I guess show her some things in the ring. So that only can help her. Uh, but this was another match similar to the Blade and Wardlow match that they gave AQA a lot of offense. And no one's gotten this amount of offense on Jade. Jade usually goes out there and just destroys people. Yeah, AQA hit the shooting star. Uh, she fired back with strikes and uh, she had a sling blade on Jade. She floated over to a DDT and climbed the ropes um, and then tried to hit another shooting star. Yeah. Uh, she They gave her a lot and maybe like she's going to be someone that they lean into and build her up a little bit. But damn, uh, for Jade, she's, she's looked strong. This is the most she's had to sell, I think, in her whole career so far. Like even the Ruby match, she didn't have to sell this much. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There, there are two polar opposite matches. Um, yeah. I feel like this was almost more of a showing for AQA to show like she's going to make that high flying female, you know? Um, maybe this was their way of showing like, oh, we're going to build up the women's division a little bit. You know, do I think AQA is the answer? No, but I think she can help. You know, it depends what they do next to there. Absolutely. So Jade got the win here, defend, defend the title. And I like that they're doing it weekly, especially they're treating it like a TV title. Yes. Uh, so next with the Young Bucks and Adam Cole backstage. The Bucks are going to beat Rampongi Vice and set their sights in the tag titles. Cole said Jay White would be in their corner, and the Bucks were uncertain about it. But Cole said, when you're Bull Club, you're Bull Club for life. Too sweet. So very interesting dynamic. And like I said, there's a lot of different questions. And it only becomes a little bit uh, more hairy for everybody involved when Kenny Omega comes back. Because, I mean, what's he going to think of all this? And he's got to be close to becoming back. I know they, they said mid-February originally when the injury happened. So uh, if Kenny can come back and then add him to the mix, I mean, we got some interesting TV. Yeah. So the fact that uh, this match, much was, forward to the... the fact that this match was even on the card right now, this professor's five minute challenge, I think you texted me. It was like nine 35 
And yep. they were starting this match. And I'm like, there's a Texas death match, guys. Like you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a lot of time and you got to do the entrances. You got to have all the pomp and circumstances that go with the championship match. And they went out there. This was easy. Trim the fat from the card, get this off, but they committed to it and they got it done. And it was super quick. Uh, so we had Serena Deeb defeating Katie Arquette and uh, Arquette has only wrestled once in AEW before on dark about a year ago. Deeb uppercut Arquette in the corner and taunted her before hitting a neck breaker. Then she lo then locked on a single leg crab in just about a minute. So if it was going to be short, uh, they made it even shorter. Uh, so Serena Deeb got the win here. And who cares? I, I, I don't know. I can't stand anything they're doing with her. Whatever. Um, not a fan. But when I saw this happen, I was like, this is the thing you take off the card. No doubt yeah. in my mind. Yeah, because after that, you know you're going to commercial, and that's three more minutes you just lost. And to me, that's why I was like, that's why I texted you, dude. I was like, wait a second, are you kidding me? Like, why is this on here? But I mean, the five minute matching is kind of a cool concept. Um, I don't know that I care for it with Serena Deeb, kind of like you said, but I mean, we'll see what she does next. I don't it reminds know. me of what they were doing with Kurt Angle for a bit, where he's like taking this is like I would say 2003 ish. Angle would just take rookies and just like beat them up. So uh, <laughs> that was happening on SmackDown. So it reminded me of that a little bit. Weird. All right. So we have the main event here. AEW World Championship, te Texas Deathmatch. Hangman Page defeated Lance Archer. And I don't know if this was the decision from the jump, but the pivot on their feet was amazing here. That if they started the match in the back and you and you cut out 10 minutes altogether of Absolutely. the entrances, the announcers, the music, all the good stuff like that. Archer attacks in the back and you get off right to the jump and you bought yourself some time. And because you've did that, you had plenty of time to get this match done. It still took it to the limit and it was, you know, stressful to watch. Cause like, are they going to go off the air prior to this happening? Uh, but absolutely bloody match that lived up to every bit of the, the stipulation. I thought this was the best match that Archer's had in AEW thus far. He sort of showed what he could be as a monster and look strong in a losing effort. Uh, and I thought this was Hangman's strongest outing as booking-wise as a champ. I mean, with Brian Danielson, we know that he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Brian Danielson in a winning effort and then also a draw. He came out of here looking super strong uh, in, in a non-traditional wrestling match, bloodied up. Uh, he had his moment as champ, and I mentioned it to you weeks ago that Hangman was going to be having uh, that picture. You know, he's bloodied up, holding yep. up the belt, and First we got it here. Uh, so we know that there were no DQs in this match, and the only way to win was to by knockout or submission. Knockout was being down for 10 seconds. So different than a traditional Texas death match because the original Texas death match, as I mentioned here on the podcast, was you had to be down for 10 seconds. No, you had to be pinned, one, two, three, and then stay down for another 10 seconds by the ref. So they didn't have time for that. So uh, it was treated like a traditional last man standing match, uh, and that's how it ended. So. This was, like I said, chaos from the beginning, but the best kind of chaos. It was very good. Just as Archer was about to make his entrance, the cameras cut backstage as the fight had already started. Uh, Archer tried to chokeslam Page off the stage, but Page came back with a belt shot and sent Archer through a glass through the entranceway immediately. And then Archer's busted up, bloodied everywhere, and then we were, that's how we started the match. Yeah. Uh, Punk, uh, uh, Page went for the buckshot lariat and hit it, but Archer rolled to the floor. And then Paige hit a plunge on the outside, but Archer whacked him over the head with a trash can lint on a dive. Um, this was another cool spot, too. 
Dan Lambert comes out and starts unscrewing the top rope because being the smart guy he is, he knows that if he can't hit, you don't have the top rope to hop over, you know that you can't do the buckshot lariat. So they took off the top rope. It was a really cool visual as well, having the, the top rope pulled off. It just looked like a very hardcore match. It reminded yeah. me of the Royal Rumble last man standing match with uh, Umaga and John Cena, like with where eventually uh, Cena choked out Umaga with the top rope. So that reminded me of that a lot. Uh, so Jake the Snake Roberts came out and got involved as well, helping Archer. Archer wanted to choke someone on the floor, but Paige popped up on the railing and hit a moonsault. Uh, they made their way to the ring where Archer continued to dismantle the ring ropes. Page was busted open over his eye, bleeding a lot. There were tables set up at ringside, and they were jockeying for position on the apron. I'm not sure exactly where Page got cut here. Uh, maybe it was from uh, the trash can lid, but he was busted open the hard way, I think. Yeah, um, I don't think it was the trash can lid. I'm trying to think of what happened after that, because that's when they went to the fork. Um, right. But Yeah, the, he no, did take the fork to his... Uh, but it wasn't the fork. He was already bloody. Yeah, he was already so, bloody. There was a little thing where, like, they showed Archer dragging stuff onto stage. You know, it must have happened in between there. That's Possibly, yeah. So Paige tried to boot Archer through the tables, but Archer count, uh, countered and sent Paige into the turnbuckle. Jake then hit a short arm close onto a huge, huge pop by the crowd. They wanted him at the DDT. Uh, Archer stopped him, which he's the heel. You can't have him cheering, guys. So, uh, But you got to wonder if that cost Archer the match. Uh, back in the ring, Paige whacked Archer with a kendo stick to no effect. Archer caught a kendo stick shot. And chokeslam Paige to a trash can. As he mentioned, as you mentioned before, he grabbed a fork and started stabbing Paige in the head. Uh, Archer tossed a half dozen chairs in the ring before pulling out the chair. And at this point, it's like nine fifty-seven. So I'm like, oh, tick, tick, tick. What? How is he going to be down for ten seconds? Uh, so, no, I'm sorry, it was like nine fifty-five. He propped up the steel steps and then hit a blackout onto Paige onto them in an insane spot. Ridiculous, terrifying. Like, ter- that made my coworkers who don't watch wrestling all go, oh my God, and they watched the rest of the match from there. Insane. I thought for sure this was going to be a spot where they reverse it. Like he slides down his back and then they they do Push it, him off the- uh, do something else yeah. than what they did. Uh, but ridiculous. Paige was beaten up. I mean, he bounced off that the steel steps. Even if they were gimmicked, that is an insane spot, especially to take you outside of the ring. Uh, so he wanted a powerbomb in the ring, but Paige managed to grab the barbed wire on the chair, deliver a rolling elbow strikes with a wire wrap forearm. And then he hit a German. Page vaulted himself over the ref. So instead of the top rope, there was no top rope. So what does he do? He hops over the, the bent over ref and hits the buckshot lariat and an archer crash into the two tables to the floor. Uh, he made it back on the count of nine and archer couldn't get up. And that was it. So great, great match. I was a huge fan of it. Uh, I had my reservations about them booking Lance Archer into the main event. Uh, but this served this perfect purpose. And I think it was awesome to have the world title match on. Uh, free television, and it also makes Hangman look like a badass, and I think that's yeah. what you want from a champion. Yeah, I think from the beginning, Hangman looked like a badass because at every time they were supposed to come out in the past few weeks, Archer always like drags him out onto the stage, and this week you saw Hangman do it. Um, the spots, I mean, not the spots, the, the hitting with the kento stick was insane. You know, um, Hangman hit him over the back while he was like sitting up, then he stood up and he hit him again. And then Lance Archer took the kento stick, snapped it in half, took another one, and he whacked Adam Page in the face with it three times. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is so bad. And then all those spots came. And like I said, after he did the blackout and he picked him up for the power bomb onto that barbed wire chair, I was literally like, don't do this, don't do that. I was already leaning back like, oh, my <laughs> God. 
and he slid out, and then the rest was just the whole thing was. I think you know I don't like Dan Lambert. That was genius, so smart. Um, it was it was awesome storytelling for sure. Yeah, the whole thing in general. I think the whole thing was great. I even love uh, Jake the Snake getting some uh, getting some action. He closed line Hangman. Did you see that? Yeah, that was amazing. So that's the thing. It was like really cool to see him uh, get a little bit of back, a little, little bit, a little bit of action in there. Um, but it's funny. So you said that you weren't sure if it would cut out on the TBS app. Just so you know, it cut out, dude. I saw yeah. him hit. I saw him hit the buckshot lariat over the referee. But when they were laying there at like the count of three, it froze, and that was it. It was ten o'clock. I was watching on the app myself, so it might have been something on your end. Because oh, geez, I hope not. Following that, we saw Adam Cole come out and he picked up the belt and put it on page. So that's how it ended. That's awesome. I didn't know that because <laughs> so, I, th- I so, figured it was just going to end. So now they set it up for now. We have Cole versus Hangman potentially at Revolution. We have MGF waiting in the wings. We also have Wardlow. There's a lot going on here, like I mentioned before. The world title picture is super muddy. Yeah. Uh, but before I get to some of my, our final thoughts and the questions I have for you and for me, uh, let's go through the Rampage card for Friday. So we have a pretty stacked card here. And as always, I'm going to ask you, are you watching or are you not? So you have the Young Bucks versus Rapungi Vice. We have a Brian Danielson promo. We have Hook versus Blake Lee. We have Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, versus Robin Renegade. And in the main event, we have AW Tag Team Championships, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus versus The Gun Club. I ask you, Nick, the comic nerd, are you watching Rampage? In the, in de- oh, there you go. All right, I was gonna say indecisive. No, I, I'm always, I'm always gonna start it like this. Okay. I think I gave you the thumbs down. I didn't watch. To be honest, this week, hundred percent. I'm looking forward to that main event. I think. Me too. I don't see the Gun Club winning the championship, but this, they're undefeated, they, so they this could. is a pretty big that, deal. Yeah, dude, they could win. What the like? It's wild. Well, we might find out by now because I think they're it's film it's filming right right oh, about yeah. now. So, um. But it's a big deal. The Gun Club are undefeated, so if they lose, I mean, it's no harm, no foul because they're they've looked strong for quite some time now. But I am looking forward to that match. Yeah. I'm Next week on that. Dynamite, we have two things announced so far. We have Chris Jericho and Jake Hager versus Santana and Ortiz, and we also have the no disqualification match with Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez. The great thing about AEW Dynamite is they always announce the cards prior in advance, so we're going to have more built around this uh, this card. And I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be great next week. Me too. All right. Let's go with your final thoughts, high points and low point of the night, Nick. Um, okay. High point. Last week, I didn't have a low point, I think. Or if I did, it was like something petty. My low point, look at my low point first. My low point was was Aubrey. I did not love. Wow. That just killed me. And and that's that's what I mean. It's a petty one. Like it's not something anybody would point out. I just thought it was a really good episode again this week. High point. Oh man. High point is Adam Page. Just Adam Page alone. Because if you look at him, his body, even from when he became champion to now, the dude is working his ass off to look like a champion even more every day. And I respect that. And the match today, the whole thing. We've been saying how it's gonna be bloody. You mentioned how there's gonna be that picture of his face in blood, and that's the first thing I thought of. Um, because I liked Adam Page. Every week, I'm liking Adam Page more and more and more. So I'm going to give him my high point. Awesome. And I agree with you with those the high point and low point. But for the interest of a show, my high point is going to be Keith Lee. Seeing awesome. him back in a ring, any wrestling ring is 
I loved it. I mean, I, I, I feel like I feel connected to the character. I feel connected to the guy. I'm just so happy to see him back in the ring. It looked like he was having a good time. And I'm very happy he found a home in AEW because at this point, uh, I really believe that his potential is limitless. And I'm not just saying that because that's his catchphrase or slogan. I think he's going to be doing huge things in AEW, and I'm really looking forward to it. My low point, uh, I would say, I mean, it could be two things. I'm going to say it's easy to say the Serena Deep thing and the fact that they had it in there for no reason. Yeah. Uh, I would I would say my low point is just the the time limit issue. I think that the main event was great. Uh, but if you would have cut out the whatever the, the five six minutes that took for the entrance of Serena Deeb, and then the match, and then yeah. whatever it took, add that to the main event, it could have been much better. So that would be my low point. And yeah, that's picking. I had to sit there and nitpick. Well, that, but that's the thing. I think the fact if we're nitpicking, they're doing something right. You know, hundred percent. So I thought it was a great, great AEW Dynamite. Uh, as usual, I mean, I, I walk away from watching Dynamite. Feeling content, not angry with the product. There are booking decisions I disagree with, of course, every week, and we sit here and talk about it. But I feel as a fan, uh, they're validating the reason I watch, and yep. that's all I can ask for. There was so much action this week, dude. It was it was this is an amazing Wednesday night of wrestling. 100 percent This is a new segment, Nick. So it's three questions. So each week I'm gonna come up with three questions following the show. And you and I will have a discussion based on it. So Let's go with question number one. Would Punk getting his win back at Revolution taint MJF's big win in Chicago last week? Yes or no, and why? If he fought MJF, you mean, or if he fought Wardlow? Because he kind of tried calling out Wardlow tonight, I thought. Well, I think what we're assuming is that CM Punk and MJF are going to be wrestling at Revolution, the pay-per-view. If Punk was to win, does it taint MJF's win? Yeah. My answer will be yes. All because of how last week ended. That's the only thing because I don't. Well, actually, I get. I'll say yes. Okay, and then I'll listen to your answer. Uh, I'm going to say no because okay. I compared MJF's winning twice in Chicago to Chris Jericho winning uh, the Undisputed title in 2001 by beating The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin the same night. Uh, this is going to be something MJF leans on for the rest of his life. He's going to be saying, I beat CM Punk in Chicago twice. He's going to be saying it forever. So no matter what happens at Revolution, no matter what it yeah. looks, uh, Punk will. Uh, Punk will. Punk needs the win back. I think. Yeah. Uh, but I think there will be some shenanigans that leave MJF um, having a claim that he is the true winner of the feud. Yeah. I don't know. Knowing AEW, they value MJF, and and Punk also is trying to build new talent. It wouldn't shock me if MJF just. Didn't give the win back, and he gets yeah. the win in Revolution. Yeah, no, wouldn't shock me. Mm -hmm. But my answer would be no. I don't think it damages because I think the the momentum that he got from these the the win. I mean, we call it two wins, but the win he got in Chicago uh, can't be erased because, uh, like I said too, people forget for Chris Jericho with the and I said this in the opening segment, but you weren't here. Was that Chris Jericho? People forget at Vengeance 2001 when he was the first undisputed champion. The only reason he won was because the NWO got involved and beat up Stone Cold and The Rock. And no one remembers how Jericho won, but he says it so often in as many years past, people are just going to remember MJF beating Punk. It doesn't matter how it happened. Yeah, true. You know, that is going to live forever. Ready for the second question? Yes, sir. Will Keith Lee be AEW world champion by the end of 2022? No. 
I think he will fight the champion, but my heart is telling me that Wardlow will be champion by the end of the year, and I think he's going to carry it for a little while. And I think they, I would love to see Wardlow versus Keith Lee. So I think that's a great championship match with, but I just think Wardlow holds on. Maybe that's a next year's champion match, but I think Wardlow will be a champion, not Keith Lee, not yet. That's a great question. I would say yes. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Okay. Because right now we're sitting in February. We got so many months to go. Yeah. My only reservation saying that there's just so many other guys in line. Yeah. But I'm going to say yes. I think okay. that it does. I mean, it could be, you know, December 1st. So I would still. Yeah, win. no, absolutely. So I think I've been saying this for a while. I think Hangman is going to lose to MJF. Mm hmm. I think MJF would probably lose to, I would say if I was booking it, Wardlow would beat MJF somewhere down the line. And then maybe Keith Lee takes off Wardlow. I like it. I like, I like it a lot. Cause I mean, I, I have the same line of people, um, but I just don't know that I have Keith Lee there yet, but I love it. I'm not Eventually against it. They're going to have to have a, I mean, Adam Cole's in there too. Eventually they're right. going to have to have, a championship run that isn't this extended period of time. All the champions have held the title for quite some time at this point. Right. And that's uh, the thing. So like, I don't want to be an interim champion in between. We're like, Oh, champion only for two months. I thought it might've been hangman, but he's held on the title for since November at this point. Yeah. And he's doing a great job. That's the thing. Like I'm just, I wasn't expecting such a great job and I think he's doing such a great, I love it. So, but yeah, no. yeah. I'm going to play Keith's music for one more time. For he is all right, last question here. Have they waited too long to pay off the Wardlow face turn? No. I think tonight was kind of like how you said you thought Punk might team with Wardlow. I I think that would have been freaking awesome. Like, I didn't think of that initially. I still don't think it's time. Um, you know, because I think after Evolution, you'll kind of finally dumb down the CM Punk MJF thing. And I think that's when it'll start to turn around again because I don't know. I think maybe Wardlow will be treated like trash by MJF for like another for the next matchup too, and that's when he'll just say this is enough. I don't know, but I don't think it's too long because I think no matter what happens, when it happens, it's gonna be so good, dude. I'm so 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 looking forward to it because you just don't know like when it's like it could have happened tonight, like you just said. I thought it might have awesome. happened tonight. Like I've been skeptical that it was gonna happen soon, but like tonight. It just had the feel, the MJF celebration and yeah. like Wardlow taking out yeah. the whole ring it like in the confetti. I felt like the moment could have lived forever, but uh, I'm, I'm saying like it right now it's not too long, but it, it's possible that it could be too long eventually. Yes. The clock is ticking for sure. So I think if they wait too long, cause right now this is the first time we've heard people chanting Wardlow's name in the Goldberg fashion. They're chanting Wardlow. Wardlow. Yep. So it might have just been the, the hot Atlantic City crowd, or maybe they're onto something. Like maybe crowds catch on to the Wardlow chant. And you want to you want to capture lightning in the bottle. And I, I don't want them to wait too long. But I've been saying for the since the beginning, they need Wardlow to chase after something substantial. And that might be the world championship. And you wait until MJF is champion, and then that's when Wardlow strikes and he turns on him. And then people are gonna go nuts. And right. That's how you get. That's how you build a bona fide main eventer because you have him turn in, turn on MJF, and then what does he do? He tags with the faces for a bit, 
He beats the crap out of MJF. But when there's no championship involved, it's like, all right, then what next? And I hate to say that, but I feel like they need the world title involved for it to be meaningful. No, I get it. And I don't think you're wrong at all. I'm just, you know, I'm saying patiently. I'm like, like <laughs> it's going to happen and you know I'm going to blow your phone up, dude. <laughs> you know well, it. That was our three questions and that will return next week. So I like uh, it. make sure to tune into that. Uh, so before we leave, uh, what's going on the Nick the Comic Nerd channel? Tell us what's going on by you. Uh, I stunk this week. I didn't have a Monday video. I didn't have a Tuesday video. I will do new comic book day tomorrow, uh, probably earlier in the afternoon. Um, and other than that, hanging out with you. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to remind you guys to, to make sure to check out the Jack Tomlinson interview from bell to bell interview sessions on YouTube and Spotify. So for audio only, if you're listening to this on Spotify and you only like consuming audio only, Find us on Spotify. Check out the interview. Jack Tomlinson was awesome to talk to. And uh, he was fresh off of that uh, major pod screw job that happened at Creator Pro Intoxication. So I am uh, very grateful that he came on. It was an hour-long conversation. I learned a lot about him. And I think the future is so bright. I mean, he's already appeared on AEW once. He's been on Raw, 205 Live. Uh, he's current Creator Pro Tag Team Champion. He's He's great. So uh, go back and check out the interview. If you do like the interviews, go back and check out the first one with Philip Cardigan while you're at it. Yeah. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe, add some comments. Uh, it really means a lot, guys, when you do that. And make sure you follow Nick the Comic Nerd on his Instagram, which is at Nick the Comic Nerd. And also make sure to subscribe to his channel, which is linked in the bottom here. Any final thoughts, Nick, that you want to give? Nah, man, another great, great week. We're gonna be got to message Cole and let him know if he if he didn't watch he missed a good one. He was pretty quiet today, so I didn't hear from him. But yeah, uh, we are having. I mean, right now there are a lot of things going off in the wrestling world. We're knee deep in the road to WrestleMania, so we will be discussing some WWE uh, news and what's going on there. But uh, for these Wednesday shows, we're strictly focusing on AEW Dynamite and everything that goes on there. So I appreciate you guys watching. Uh, as always, make sure to like and subscribe, Acefield Retro. We will be, be we will be back uh, at least Sunday with another uh, Dynamite Reaction Show, potentially, uh, well, Sunday, back with a watch-along, and on Wednesday, back with a Dynamite Reaction Show. So make sure you guys uh, check it out. We'll be going live. Uh, lots of content going on the channel. But I do appreciate all of you. I hope you guys have a great night. And thanks for watching. I've been Acefield Retro. That's Nick the Comic Nerd. Catch you next time. Thank <laughs> you.